This is Reimagining Higher Education, your go-to podcast with remarkable education leaders sharing personal stories from their experience in and around the sector, including reflection and hope for progress in the sector. With your host, Studiosity's founder and president of Friends of Libraries Australia, Jack Goodman. Welcome. Well, I'm here today with Jess Vanderlilly, who's the Deputy Vice Chancellor at La Trobe University, and it is lovely to see you uh, right now, Jess. Thanks so much, Jack. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, well, it is fantastic to have you um, join us, and I thought we would just start off the ways we usually do, which is we ask each of our guests to bring along an object that reflects something about the educational journey that that they've been on themselves. It could be any sort of any sort of an object, and I'm just curious if uh, what, what you've brought along? So I've brought along a small statue of the Hindu god Ganesh. And one of my very good friends gave me this statue just before I started my academic career. So I said I had a new job and she said, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And Ganesh is um, a Hindu god that symbolizes wisdom, understanding um, discriminating intellect so it's almost the god of the academic um, not so much the god of learning but more about um, academic thought and I love this statue and, and this um, the symbolism in particular so Ganesh has a really big head that encourages us um, to think big ideas and, and challenge ways of um, understanding has big ears to remind us that we need to listen carefully and often. Has a very small mouth that helps us know that we should talk less and helps us to listen more. <laughs> One tusk is larger than the other. And that helps us to remember that we have to look for things that aren't working well and find ways to change them. So we do away with the bad and focus more on the good or at least turn the bad into good and has a really long um, and curving trunk. And that helps us to think and reminds us to be agile and innovative in our approach. So when I think about the way that I teach um, and the way that my career has shaped over time, each of those um, kinds of pieces of symbolism really do remind me about what's important as a leader, but importantly, what's important when we work with students, listening to their views, having an open heart and supporting them, continuing to always focus on how we can do better and um, look for opportunities to um, improve the lives of other people. Wow, I, I really love that. It's um, for folks who are, are listening and not, not uh, obviously watching, it's a beautiful little statue too. It just fits in the palm of your hand so nicely and I can see um, it being something that you can take with you or keep on your desk. And, uh, and the fact that it embodies so many of those uh, elements in the um, God Ganesh is, is really quite powerful. I wonder if you could um, share a little bit, applying some of those ideas, but share with us a little bit about your own journey as a learner, particularly uh, uh, as an undergraduate and a postgraduate student at university. Tell us a little bit about what that was like for you. Mm, thanks. It's a great, it's a great question. And thank you. Um, it's been interesting to reflect um, on that. So I started at university in the late 1990s. 
Um, I was the first in my family to go to university, came from a regional background. So there was um, a lot of excitement in my family about having someone who was going to university. Um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I had, I think, five completely different degrees I was thinking about and managed to settle on biomedical science. Um, but what was um, what's interesting for me in that kind of um, journey to think about what I wanted to do was I had to ask lots of different people about um, what it meant to move into different professions because my family really didn't have that experience. Um, and my dad was a bricklayer. My mum um, detailed cars and, and supported my dad's um, small business. So my family were incredibly supportive, um, but at the same time, um, we really um, had a, a really strong interest in where I was going to take my career and, and the benefits of university. Um, so I was really lucky that they supported me on that journey, considering that neither of them had gone past year eight at, at school. Um, coming to university was a big challenge for me. I was a high achieving student at school, thrown into this massive kind of environment where we had three hours of lectures a week um, for each subject. We had three hours of laboratory classes a fortnight, predominantly kind of didactic teaching. So you sit in this big room and listen to people talk. And I remember the first week I cried every day because oh I thought I'm not meant to be here. I'm not smart enough to be here. There's a reason no one in my family has ever been to university. I couldn't take notes fast enough and focus on the what my academics were talking about. No one had told me, hey, Jess, read the textbook bit first and then go to class because it'll help you kind of understand it a little bit better. So I kept going home and going, mom, I just can't do it. And in her true style went, that's not good enough. You're going back. We're buying you a tape recorder. You're going to record it and you're going to sit home and you're going to write your notes and, and we're going to be here. You can't give up yet. At least get through the semester. And I kind of made it. I did make it through. I did really well in my first semester, but pretty much that whole first year at uni was a lesson in um, have building confidence. I didn't go to the library for the whole first year that I was at university because I didn't. I was afraid of the library. I kept going back to my high school because I knew the people there. I found it easy to get resources there. It wasn't a three-story building. And so that confidence and building connection was really something that I struggled with as a student. And for me as an educator, it certainly has been a big area of focus for me, making sure that my students, I know who my students are. Um, I know what kind of backgrounds they, they have when they come to us um, and that I'm able to then signpost and direct them to the kinds of support services that were available to them and bring colleagues from across the university in to talk to them about it, to kind of reduce that, that kind of barrier that students would face. That is a remarkable story. And I, I can see how it clearly has informed your interest in that first year experience in particular. Do you, do you think that's been a, a transformative process for, for, for universities in Australia in, in terms of understanding what 
what best practice looks like, or are we out? Are we still on a big, big journey in that regard? Oh, I think we've come a really long way from what it was like all of those years ago. There certainly wasn't um, a focus on transition pedagogy and, and embedded support in the way that we um, think about it now at at university. It was very much a kind of sink or swim, and hopefully students would find their way to the places that they're at. So I think as a sector, we've come a really long way, but I think there's further that we need to go in truly understanding who our cohorts are and designing supportive experiences that tap in to the kind of diverse needs of our cohort. I think a lot of the time we still think about um, our cohorts in, a, in an almost a one-size-fits-all approach. So for me, that's a big challenge in my role currently is how do we start to nuance the kinds of support and meet students where they're, where they're at? Is, is, is that around the idea of trying to personalise that experience? I mean, I know we have, I mean, Latrobe must have, what, 10,000 10, first-year students or something? like that? I mean, how, how, do, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, uh, it is about personalization, but personalization in a massified educational environment is really, is really difficult. Obviously, there's, there's technology that, that can help us do that. But really, we're, we're kind of scratching the surface in that. And it's more of a, you call into um, uh, the call center, the student admin call center, and they know who you, who you are, because you're um, mobile phone number matches up to your to your student record that's personalization in a way that makes me feel like hey you know who I am but it's not necessarily the kinds of personalization where we've done the deep diagnosis of what do you need and how do we how do we connect and I think that is definitely a place where we continue to put our focus and I don't think anyone's really solved how you give true personalization at scale. Um, and we do still group students into, um, into, into cohorts. Um, for me, I think the next frontier of the work that we do is um, deeper connection with our academic colleagues. So the connection between the student support services and the teaching staff on the ground and developing that partnership because really a student establishes a relationship more of a relationship with the person who's teaching them rather than a, a support service in any in any um, one way I think that's a really interesting point I, I want to go back just for a minute though to your your personal journey because it sounds like you came from a you know a, a remarkable background and the fact that you persevered through that first week much less first semester was really you know, huge credit to you and especially to your parents for, for, you know, going on this journey with you, given, you know, their educational journey was so brief and they had very different uh, working lives. Um, but can you just talk a little bit more about how you did manage to settle in and then not just stick through that first degree, but then to pursue a postgraduate degree and, and what you might have sort of learned from the people that influenced you on that journey that you might have used to inform some of your thinking as you, um, you know, been through your own, you know, storied academic career. And just for folks uh, who are listening's um, knowledge, I mean, you're still like incredibly young and probably one of the, one of the youngest DVCs that, 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 that I'm aware of and certainly had um, 
you know, just, just been on a, an almost a storybook career. So maybe you could share a little bit more about, about how you went from that first year, very uncertain student to, uh, through the, through the, the, the post-grad experience. It's a great question. Thank you. Um, so when I was at university in the early phase, so once I got over that first 12 months, which was really just a push through, make some friends, keep going, keep turning up and learn how to learn in this new environment. And really what that meant in that context was learn how to rote learn as well as you possibly could. Um, it was a kind of a hard science. There was a lot there that was more about, it was more about remembering the theory rather than understanding the application. And I think we've come a long way as a um, as a sector in helping students to anchor their knowledge to more practical examples. That um, experience, once we got, once I got through that and developed my confidence, for me, it was a lot about how do I start to improve that experience for other students? And how do we create an environment on campus that's fun? So I joined our student association, which thankfully was an apolitical organisation that was really focused on support services and delivery of engagement activities to students across the campus. And that was really a turning point for me. I had a chance to kind of spread my leadership wings. In a way, I was the president of that organisation for, for quite a long time. I met my husband um, through that organisation, so um, has a big place in my heart. But it also gave me an understanding about the importance of listening really deeply and to multiple people when thinking about the way in which you design support or engagement activities. So it was more than just, I'm going to bring my personal experience and my personal ideas to shape what's going to happen at the university and rather go, how do we get as many people's views on this as as possible. So that in itself was really useful because it broadened my network. And I got us, I got to spend more time with industry. I got connected with um, an industry mentor that um, was a chief scientist at an IVF laboratory. And I got to do volunteer work there and start to see how the content that I was learning in the classroom was applied in a, in a clinical context. And that was what I was really kind of passionate about. The staff who taught me, um, we built really, there were some really strong relationships there and they took a really active role in mentoring me as well. And part of those relationships came because of my role in the student association as well, in terms of how do we start to continue to improve the student experience. And from that, I, um, I didn't, at the end of my degree, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was still back where I was before I started my degree, not knowing what I wanted to do. And I, and I, it's horrible to say, but it really is. I went, eh, don't know what I'm going to do. I'll do honours because actually I kind of like research. So I'm going to do that. And I've had this experience in this IVF lab and I can see a question that I want to try and answer in there that has a, a clinical kind of context. And at the end of that, I didn't know really, again, 
what I wanted to do. I was a little bit scared of jumping into the real world and maybe that's why I've stayed at universities forever. But I think, I hope it's because I found my true passion and calling in life. Um, but when I moved into that, into my PhD, it was an opportunity to continue to explore research. But for me, really importantly, it was an opportunity to teach and that I knew that I really liked teaching and that I wanted to do that. And so being able to pair um, some, my passion for exploring kind of challenges and, and unpacking and learning more about um, conditions that um, impact a lady's pregnancy, I got to then um, also be exposed to students and contribute back um, to a school and a degree program that really did shape my um, my learning. That that is really really interesting. And one of the things I, I picked up on there is just how, and this comes back to the the, the uh, Krishna um, God, is how focused you were in that as a president of the student association on this whole journey and listening to other people's views and hearing what they what their needs are as opposed to extrapolating from your own experience as important as we all think our own world is but um you seem to have a, a very very um uh you know, modest ego which is exceptionally impressive for someone in, in your role and i think probably hugely beneficial um and, and, and I'm sure that's that you found that to be the case. What I'm wondering is, are there um, particular challenges and associated with those challenges, opportunities that you've seen revealed in the sector over the last several years that you've been in, in this, this most current and senior leadership role that you've been able to apply your, you know, your sort of approach, your lens to, and, and what those challenges and opportunities might, might might look like. And I guess maybe if you want to put that in the context of the, the pandemic and, and, and where we are now in late 2022, what, what you're thinking about um, at Latrobe going forward. Sure. The, obviously, the pandemic kind of ramped up some of the big challenges that we were already facing as a sector that we were trying to address in, in different ways. But I think... I see the pandemic as an incredible opportunity that we had as a sector to do something different and to get us to really think creatively about flexibility and the ways in which we deliver for students. So for me and um, in my work, I've always been passionate about supporting students from diverse backgrounds to be able to come to university. And the biggest barrier for people to succeed when they're here is really around balancing work and family and all of the other commitments. And we know that students are working more now than they ever have before. Cost of living's going up. For us, with such a large regional footprint, we have a high proportion of students who are second chance learners or they're coming back to study much later in life, bringing their children, studying with their children. And, and that brings a range of, of challenges to us as a sector. The fact that now we have all experienced 
and I'm going to use the word remote delivery rather than online delivery because for me there's a big distinction between moving something, moving the way you would teach face-to-face into an online environment just by using Zoom versus the careful crafting and creation of an engaging online experience for students. And I think we've got some work to do there as we continue um, to have more hybrid approaches to the way that we design and deliver um, education. But the big challenge has always been how do you embed flexibility for those students who have got really complex lives and make it as supportive as possible? And I think the pandemic has done us a big favour there. So we have embedded more flexible options. And at our university, um, we now have um, a program in place called StudyFlex, as a number of other institutions do have their own versions of it, where students can pick whether they do the face-to-face or the online version of classes. And um, students, it gives students a choice. And we spoke to more than 5,000 of our students this year. And overwhelmingly, they told us that they want that choice. They want to be able to come and design their on-campus experience in a way that works for them. Some of them want to be able to choose it on a day-to-day basis when they wake up and couldn't be bothered to come in. And I think there's some downfalls to having that kind of level of flexibility because there is some Um, important skills that you need to learn about what it means to work in a professional environment for some of our students who may not have had that before and ultimate flexibility doesn't help you to understand that when you get a job you actually have to turn up face to face sometimes so I think we've got some balancing work indeed in there but overall that um, that hybrid and, and more flexible approach allows people to engage in study at a time that works for them but importantly it's challenged us to say if I'm going to bring students to campus they need to be coming to campus for something more than sitting in a room and listening to me talk to them about biochemistry as fun as that is for me and as much as I'm sure they really like it, it I want them to come to campus to engage in learning that tests the way that they think about the world, that tests their understanding of the knowledge, that lets them connect with other people and lets them connect with, with me as an academic. And I think that's the, that's the space where we've still got some more work to do about how we take some disciplines more so than others, how we create those truly engaging experiences where a student wakes up in the morning and goes, hey, I know I'm going to a tutorial this morning and we are going to have a really cool discussion. So whether it's online or face-to-face, I don't care because I'm coming because I know I'm going to have a great time. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And is that is that, coming back to something you said earlier, is that part of what you're trying to reimagine for the university in terms of building those connections between students and their you know their teachers as opposed to just the support staff and making sure that there really are those strong you know strong connections as you know as you're saying that that you are earning the commute if they are indeed commuting or you know earning the login whatever the 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 corollary with an online option is yeah i it that's completely it so for me it's how do we create opportunities for students and academics to come together. Some of that will be in the classroom, which 
is kind of curated and, and really important. But I'm also thinking in my role, um, how do I create a broader campus experience that allows staff and students to get to know each other and connect together outside of the learning environment as well. And we know that academic staff um, teach partly because they just love hanging out with students. Students are really cool people and they have great ideas. And if you make that space to listen and share, it actually improves your teaching practice, but it also helps students understand that you're a real person and that you're not this kind of kind of plastic figurine that's super smart and they can't possibly come to you for anything. But once they get to know you as a person, they go, hey, you're kind of cool. Like you're not just like a stuffy version of my mum and dad. Like you really do care about my learning and you care about the experience and, and we're part of a learning community. And I think that's where you start to encourage people to think about the next step in their educational journey. That was was certainly through those kinds of interactions that I got to seriously think about, um, about research as a viable kind of pathway for me into postgraduate education. Um, and without those kinds of connections, I don't think I would have had the confidence to be able to jump in and, and do that and test my knowledge and test my boundaries again at that level. So I was really lucky. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like you really were. Um, the theme of this this podcast, Jess, as you know, is is reimagining higher education. And one of the things we like to ask people in roles like you are in is to think about some way that if you could change something right now for students in twenty twenty two heading into twenty three, you know, what would that be? You've had. 20 plus years of experience as a student and, and a researcher and an academic and now a, a um, senior administrator. Um, what, you know, what do you think would make the biggest difference for students today if you could flip a switch and change something? I think it's detailed career support earlier in someone's educational experience. So for me, as an academic, I would often speak to students who came to university not knowing what they wanted to do, similar experience to what I had, but they also had a very limited understanding about what it meant to be a member of a particular profession. So for example, I had lots of students say they were doing a health science or a biomedical science degree because they wanted to be a paramedic. And you go, that's awesome. But what does it mean to be a paramedic? Do you, do you know what that career is really like? Have you ever spoken to a, to a paramedic? And often students get into a degree program and it's not until they go on placement or until they even graduate and get a job that they realise, hey, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it looked like it did on TV, but really it's not like that at all. And I think there's a role for us to play as universities, but also for the school system um, in supporting young people to think long and hard about coming to university. So there's, a, there's always a question for me about, is university actually the right thing for people to do straight out of school? Should you take time off? 
Um, how much pressure do we put on young people as they're coming through school um, in thinking, now you're going to finish this and you're going to go straight to uni and then you're going to get a job and then you're going to be awesome, right? And you can't be awesome unless you've done all of those things. And there's a lot to be gained from students having a really informed decision about the education that they want to undertake next post school and if they get that wrong at the start of their time at university often what happens is they fail their first semester and then they have this experience which would have reinforced the kinds of doubt that I had about myself that would be completely reinforced because they've come in they've gone Ugh, I don't like it my mum and dad are telling me I have to keep doing it so I'm doing it and I hate it and I just failed it. And then they go, yep, uni wasn't for me. I can't do it. Not all of them have supportive family networks. A lot of our students, their families are telling them they should be back on the farm or they should be doing something different or getting a trade. So I think it's important that students know what they're getting themselves into about like what is university really like, but also what are the degrees like? And I think and this is probably a political comment, um, I don't think we invest enough in careers and guidance counselling at the school level. And I think universities as a sector have a role to play in supporting guidance counsellors to help students yeah. make informed decisions. I think that's, that's almost certainly right. So many people are disillusioned in that first semester, partly probably because they just can't see what's the purpose or where is this leading you know it's a three or four year journey and the subjects the, the the you know the material just feels miles away from what they thought they were going to be it's like we're, it's like misordering on the menu at a restaurant but with much bigger consequences right That's it. now you've got to eat it <laughs> right and it's like oh I, I can't leave here I am right I bought it so That's um, it. and we you know you feel bad that's a momentary you know bad decision but uh, I think that's a really interesting point. And there's also just that tension between trying to inspire people a love of learning about whatever it happens to be, and also realizing that there's an economic equation here for almost everybody and needs to be a pathway to some sort of better paid employment as a result of taking three or four years out of the workforce, basically, or, or longer in a part-time yeah. study situation. And I think universities um, and schools have a role to play in helping students who don't know what they want to do um, explore university just for the love of learning. Like often the narrative is you come to university to get yourself a job um, and some of the more generic degree programs, oh, don't do that because that's not going to get you a job at the end of the day. So I think there's, I think that is certainly important. We want students to, to leave and to be successful and to gain employment. But there's also a really cool thing about universities in helping people to to learn how to think and to challenge knowledge and to create knowledge. And I'm, I'm not sure that the kind of narrative is really reinforcing that as much as it potentially could. Yeah, uh, fair enough. So look, to, 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 to wrap up this conversation, and I don't know how applicable this is to you, given that, uh, you know, at least I have this impression that your career has been a sort of one-way trajectory from uh, you know a straight line. I'm sure it, it, it clearly hasn't been, but it but it certainly looks that way from the outside. But um, but if you were to just sort of look back, 
what advice would you give to yourself as you were starting out in your academic career? And, and what would you say to aspiring senior leaders in the sector? Thank you. Great question. Um, I think one of the things I struggled with a lot as a, a younger academic was um, balancing the competing tensions around research, teaching, the kind of more service kind of related activities that I was undertaking. And um, that was even more pronounced because I was in a science-based discipline. So for me, someone gave me a really important piece of advice because um, I was trying to do everything and be good at everything. Um, and they said to me, Jess, you're a passionate teacher. You're really good at this. You're recognised for your teaching. Have you been doing research in your teaching? Why are you trying to push this extra research kind of portfolio? How much of your research is around your teaching? And that was really important for me. I still kept my research um, lab going and the work that I was doing there. But I, it made me think that, hey, I can actually do research about my teaching. It makes me a better teacher. Um, and it also provides me really solid evidence about the impact that my teaching is having and allows me to make changes to curriculum design or assessment in a way that's truly informed and less intuitive. And that, that kind of opened up my mind and I went, oh my goodness, this is so cool. And that also helped me. I could see the way that that would have benefited me more in aligning my teaching, my research and my service in a, a narrower trajectory and potentially made it a little easier for me to balance my time and probably a bit better for my own um, mental and physical health. So I would have given myself that advice um, back then to probably take the plunge and don't worry so much that you're going to... I, I, I almost had FOMO, right? I didn't want to stop one thing because maybe I wasn't going to be good enough at something else and so I was just going to keep these two pretty good things happening rather than investing in one and and really um, laying my cards down um, clearly but the advice I would give um, to other aspiring leaders that's one of them to kind of help you make it a bit more manageable for yourself but I think the big one is being brave trusting yourself and reaching out to other senior leaders in your to senior leaders in your organization so I was a an academic that had lots of ideas about the way we could improve the student experience I had some opportunities to do put some things in place within my school and they gave me pretty free reign and I just kept saying I'm going to do this I want to do that and they went yeah that's awesome just go ahead Jess like keep going keep going um, but I could see how we could do things more broadly at the university level. And it wasn't until I started to really think through what kind of mentoring relationships do I need to help me build a career? And how could I potentially think about those mentors and those relationships in a way to um, give me an opportunity to put some ideas on the table? And as a, as a DVC now, I love it when academics or professional staff come and say, Jess, I've got this great idea and I'm willing to work with you on it. 
can you help me figure out how we do it? And that's just gold because otherwise we kind of sit here and we're, we're doing things and you kind of feel the weight of the, of the institutional strategy on your shoulders. But finding great, talented people across an institution who want to work with you is just an absolute gift. So it served me really, really well in my career. It was those networks that helped me find new opportunities. Um, and those mentors really did um, give me some really important advice that that helped me think about who I wanted to be as a as a leader and I have I can't thank them all enough and there's a lot of them that is a, a, a lovely lovely bit of advice and I, I actually can't help but squeezing in one more question or asking you to comment on something if you've got another one more minute um, just noticing that you know having someone externally I realize for you sometimes this happens right that uh you know you're this wonderful teacher and that's really where your deepest passion is even though research is you know a big part of your your career and in fact as we know professors are meant to be spending roughly you know 40 percent of their time researching and 40 percent of their time teaching but almost nobody can do them equally well and in equal parts um, do you feel like, and, and, and so you had someone help you identify the fact that you really should be focusing on the teaching side, do you think that was really beneficial um, to be a wonderful teacher and a passionate teacher in your pathway to, um, you know, a, a DVC role like you're in now? And do you think other universities, this may be a little political, but do you think other universities really benefit from perhaps promoting more excellent educators as opposed to maybe excellent researchers into these types of senior roles? I think there's space for both. Um, and you see DVC's research who are incredibly talented researchers. You see VCs who are incredibly talented researchers um, throughout their careers. And I think equally you see um, DVC's academic or PVCs learning and teaching who have been recognised nationally for their teaching um, capability. Um, so in that way, I think it is important for us to find our what we're really what we're really good at. I don't know a DVC A or education across the sector who isn't passionate about teaching and who doesn't deeply care about um, curriculum and assessment design. That's what make, makes us kind of get up in the morning and want to keep doing it. And the, the DVC students roles like mine, are those people love students, right? That's, that's the part we all find out. We all find our kind of place. But, and again, this is a political statement. I think we've made as a country, um, we've made some big decisions about um, how we invest and in recognition of high quality teaching. So the fact that we no longer offer the Australian Learning and Teaching Fellowship Program, um, I was an, an ALTF fellow, a number of DVCs across the country were all fellows and gave those, that opportunity at a national level supported by the government gave us a wonderful platform to create to connect with others across the sector to share knowledge and create knowledge and to really start to drive what are strategically important initiatives that continue today 
to impact the way that we shape higher education. So Sally Kiff's fellowship around um, the first year experience, Nicolette Lee and her fellowship around the capstone experience, Romy Lawson and hers around curriculum, Sarah O'Shea around first in family students, mine around alumni, like it's, they're big projects that even now are still shaping the sector right. in the way that we think. And, and we've I, lost that though. We've lost, we've lost that. And I'm not sure that we will get that back. And um, that's certainly one of the, yeah. the things that I'm most sad about for us as a sector. And I think it's a challenge that we need to find a way to solve. If the government isn't going to support it at that level, then I think as universities, we need to find a way that we can do something in that, in that space. Because it's the connection between universities that drives real change. I think that's a really, really interesting point. And if something doesn't come out of this current review of the sector that's underway, I would agree. I would hope that, uh, you know, as a sector through Universities of Australia or some other vehicle, there'd be a way to bring some of that back because if half the mission of the sector is education, um, it feels like we, we may have overbalanced a little bit on the research side. And, uh, and that's, part of the challenge going forward. I'd really just like to thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And uh, there's so much more to talk about. Maybe maybe invite you back to have another chat with, um, uh, with one of my colleagues uh, to continue some of this discussion about what teaching and learning might look like in the, in the sector um, as we try and reimagine it further. For now, thank you so much, Jess. It's been lovely to uh, catch up. Thanks, Jack. It's always a pleasure. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Visit studiosity.com slash studentsfirst for the next Students First Symposium, an open forum for faculty, staff and academics to candidly discuss and progress the issues that matter most in higher education.